perfect timing. Look at that. Let's all applaud, uh, applaud Lisa's timing on that song this morning. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank, thank you for being here. Let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day we have today and uh, for just the joy of the Lord as our strength and uh, for life in Christ that just gets better and better and sweeter as the years go by. And this morning, um, after coming off of a great missionary day, we're so thankful that we have these five days of camp left. And we pray that you would just uh, increase mightily throughout the camp today, up in the youth tabernacle and on the hill and in the children's and in the tiny tots and certainly here in the services to follow today. We sure ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. Wonderful to have you. If you see a smile on my face, it is uh, because of God's goodness and because uh, Trina lands in Columbus two hours from now. And uh, so... Uh, We'll be going to, uh, I'll be going to get her after Bible study, and uh, we'll be back on the grounds this afternoon. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I a little bit underestimated the, the demand. I apologize. Uh, so we have no more notes, the printed notes, but they are um, still on the website. If, if you go to the Camp Psyker, if you don't have printed notes, go to the Camp Psyker website or the Psyker Facebook page, and there you can either look at them on your phone, your iPad, or you can print them somewhere or something like that. Um, and uh, if you want them emailed to you or something, we, we'd certainly, certainly be glad to do that. As, as I say that too, um, one of the things we feel in our hearts is that the, the truth that the Lord gives us is the Lord's truth. And so I would say to you, um, if this is something you want to use in your church, please feel free to do that. Um, oftentimes we have PowerPoints uh, to go with it, but we, we didn't get that done this year. Um, but if, if this is something, these outlines, um, feel free to use that in, in your church, in a Sunday school class or a small group. Um, and, of course, this is the book um, that accompanies this study. And um, we do have the book table set up in the back now, um, that, that back corner of the tabernacle. And uh, we have a pretty good quantity of these, so feel free to look around. And uh, if you're interested in that, just uh, uh, let me know. And uh, we, all do, we do all donations on our books. So people ask me how much do our books cost. It's whatever people give on donation to us. There's a PayPal link if you like it that way or cash or check. Um, but just so you know, all the money we receive for books goes into our book fund to keep making more books and we can provide them to folks and things like that. So that's that. So all right, so we're uh, back to it this morning. Wasn't that a great mission day yesterday? Amen. Great mission day. What powerful messages we had uh, from our missionaries. These were really strong messages, and I, I just want to encourage you, um, support our missionaries. Find one or more of our missionaries and, and have ongoing relationship with them. You know, that's how the early church did it, right? Amen? In the early church, um, you know, Antioch was that sending church for Paul and Barnabas and then Paul and Silas, and as you know, in missions, the sending is just as important as the going. You can't have missions without both, the, sending and the, the senders and the goers. And so I, I really want to just add my encouragement to you, to one of these incredible missionaries that we have here at Camp Syker, get with them, get personally connected, be a supporter, be a prayer supporter, and have that, and, and do it with more than one, um, but be, have that. And, and haven't we had great biblical preaching here in the camp from uh, Stephen Burt 
And uh, the messages have been so clear. And I've heard so many comments from people about how clear the truth has been in the preaching. And I, I praise God for that. And I'm just praying for great remaining camp. I mean, it's just going to go up from here, right? So let's be in prayer for these guys as Bert preaches this morning and uh, Steve tonight. So I invite you back to 2 Timothy. Thank you for your uh, endurance with us in looking through these chapters. I'm just a big believer in being immersed in the Word, right? I'm a big believer in being immersed in the Word in our lives. Um, Todd, you talked about being into the Word yesterday, didn't you? Right? Um, I, I love camp meeting because we have kind of like God speaks to us. Don't you think like it's possible to have revival all the time in your life? Is that, is that possibility that the Christian life can be more than just a roller coaster from event to event? Because sometimes we do that as Christians, don't we? We kind of like um, camp meetings are a high time and we can't wait till July and then it's, oh, man, back to regular life. And uh, we have next July to look forward to. Or it's the next concert or it's the next retreat. And sometimes as Christians, we, we kind of, we can kind of almost be so event-oriented. It's kind of like the valleys and the peaks. I, I am a believer that the words of that old song is true, you know. I'm pressing on the upward way. What's the rest of the words? New heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound. Lord, lead me on to And I know we're, um, I know we're in process, and I know we're going to have our days and good days and bad days, but isn't it true that the Christian life doesn't have to be a roller coaster but an increase? And if we're going to have that, I admonish us, and I firmly believe that being into the word in my life is the key to that. Not only great preaching that, you know, I might hear at my church or Sunday school class or small group, but me being into the word in my life is the key to ongoing revival. Anybody interested on ongoing revival in life? Be into the word. So uh, two of my prayers when we're at camp is we would hear God speak to us through the word, through preaching or the teaching, but that we would also be encouraged and motivated and hungry, stirred to say, I'm going to go home and I... I don't altogether know how, but I'm going to, you know. I'm going to start to read, and I'm going to start to immerse, and I'm going to start to just really seek what God has for me. I'm going to pick a place in Scripture. I'm going to read through a book of Scripture, and I'm just going to let God speak to me in my life. And that, that's the, I've been doing that over the last year or so here in these chapters. And so what I'm sharing with you is just the overflow of that. So this morning we're coming to verses 13 to 15. We Last time uh, on Monday we looked at verses 10 to 12, which was Paul's testimony and talking about some of the facts of holiness, life. And um, we, we talked about that. And, and the, so this morning, verses 13 to 15, he, he's kind of going back to the contrast thing a little bit to continually help Timothy see what he's warning him about and what he's calling him to. One thing I like about Paul is repetitiveness. I, I really like, and it helps me when it has repetition. Did, any, did anybody have a repetitive mom growing up? Anybody here a repetitive mom? <laughs> a repetitive teacher? And sometimes the repetition just kind of helps us. And it, it just really, Paul, in his style of writing, is repetitive. And so you think like he was done talking about the contrast, and yet he comes back to it again because it's so important for Timothy to see these two contrasting ways. Timothy, beware of this perilous way 
this direction that some people are going to take away from truth. But you, okay, but you, we're going to see again today, here, here's what we're called to. And so if you would, join me at verse 13. He says, after giving his testimony, he goes back to the contrast. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, see the contrast again? But you, here, here's what they're going for, but you must continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you see, uh, just on a side note, do you see how Paul makes, this isn't my thing, do you see how Paul makes a big thing about the scriptures? And we're going to talk about that a whole bunch more tomorrow. So be ready for tomorrow because you're going to talk a lot more about why the Holy Scriptures are so needed and effective and powerful in our lives. But back to verse 13, he's giving this, this warning, this contrast, and, and he gives Timothy yet another, another hook, if you will, on which to understand how to identify the perilous way or the misdirection that, that is going to be brought to him, that the temptation towards this misdirection away from the truth. And in verse 13, he uses a key word. We're going to look at this Greek word that he uses in verse 13 and also in verse 9 that kind of gives a little bit more about the, the nature of this direction that some people are taking away from the truth. And the word in Greek, um, it, it, it's translated into verse 9. I have the New King James Version. In verse 9, he says, they will progress, that word right there, progress. The word progress. And then in verse uh, 13, it's the word evil men and imposters will grow. Worse, grow. So progress or grow. So the word in Greek, if you're ready for this, I think it's in your notes, is the word Pro-copto. I've shared before, you know, Greek words are, are kind of fun to me. I know I'm kind of weird about that. But um, Greek words are kind of fun because they're like Lego blocks. Did anybody, uh, anybody play with Lego blocks when you were growing up? Anybody? How many parents have stepped on Lego blocks? Uh, growing, any, any, so I, I have permanent indentations in my bottom of my feet, my soles of my feet, a little bit from Lego blocks. But Carrie has these incredible collections of Lego blocks still at the house. But anyway, Greek words are like that. So um, a lot of Greek words are compound words, meaning it's, it's a root word and then it's a prefix put on it to kind of give it meaning. So pro-copto, the word copto in, in their world meant to, to cut or to chop like chopping a tree or cutting something, chop or cut. The word pro is kind of similar in English, means before. So to cut or chop before. So in their, in their day, in the ancient world, this word prokopto was used for somebody who would be like a pioneer who would be chopping a trail, cutting a path ahead of the others. I'm going before you to create a way through this wilderness, you know, you get the idea, pioneer, a trailblazer, that kind of a thing. So one of the things Paul's doing as he describes those who are misleading or being tempted to mislead the church is he's saying part of their mentality is, 
it's like a trailblazer mentality. There's this almost attitude or mindset that, you know, we, we really don't need this old truth. It's kind of outdated. It's kind of a relic. It's kind of um, not very relevant for our day. Do you hear that kind of stuff ever? You, you ever hear the argument? It's not really relevant for our day. You know, it's very ancient. It was for their day. It's not very, it's not, you know, so what we have to do is we kind of have to blaze a trail. We have to be pioneers to kind of um, almost revision it. <laughs> you ever hear this kind of thing? Our world is full of this attitude right now that God's word and God's way is outdated. It's irrelevant. It's old. <laughs> and so what we need to do is kind of like innovate. So what our world is really into, and, and this is what's happening in the church sometimes these days, is we've got to innovate. We've got to come up with new ways of thinking about God and truth, you know, that are more relevant to our day. Do you, do you ever hear this kind of stuff? And what I'm, what I'm very careful about doing this morning is there's all kinds of buzzwords right now in our culture that are being used in the church right now. And you can tell that when you start hearing, and I'm not, I'm not going to use them this morning because I don't, I desperately am uh, wanting to preach truth and not anybody think I'm going after them. But when I hear these buzzwords in the church, it's kind of like a signal, oh, you're, you're getting caught up in this thing the world is into, that we are these pioneers who are blazing a trail, and we're into this, you know, th this is kind of old, so we've got to reinvent, we've got to revision it, we've got to innovate, we're, we're blazing a new path, we're blazing a new trail into this great new world that we can help God create, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? You understand that? That's kind of what he's describing of the mindset of, of these folks who are getting caught up in this in church. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about on the first day in verse 5. They are having a form of godliness. So it's the idea that we can, we can make our own godliness. We're into our creativity. We're into our, our own visioning. We're into our own crafting godliness. We're into what we can, and it's back to what we talked about, like in, remember, remember in, in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel, let us make bricks. Let us build a tower. We have a vision. We can do it. We can make it. Look what we can do. Or in, in Exodus chapter 32, let us make gods that can serve us. And so that is what the world calls progress in our day. <laughs> You know, our, our world's really into progress. Have you noticed humanity is really driven by progress, aren't we? we? We got to, we as humans can progress, right? So in all areas of life, humanity is always driven by progress. Like in technology, is any, what version of phone do you have now? You know? Technological progress. Progress in exploration. There's, there's this... Uh, the space program has kind of gotten a, with SpaceX and uh, all these, you know, private industry. The, the whole space exploration has gotten exciting again. And there's all this emphasis on exploration of uh, progress. And now what's happening in our culture, you might see, 
is there's all this attempt to, you know, we as humans, these old ways of thinking about relationships and sexual nature and gender, we can progress beyond these outdated ways of thinking, right? And so what Paul's warning Timothy is watch out for people who are trying to make progress, so-called human progress, apart from Jesus and the Word. (laughs) Anything that acts or seems like or calls itself progress but isn't the truth isn't really progress at all. (laughs) And that's what he's warning him. Watch out for this so-called progress, this pro-copto We're blazing a trail. Follow us. We'll lead you into the promised land, so to speak. Watch out for that, Timothy. Because wasn't that the temptation in the very beginning? When when Satan came to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, wasn't this kind of the nature of the temptation when he said to her, has God indeed, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? And Eve answered him. And then he said, you, you surely will not die, the serpent said, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So essentially what the serpent was saying to Eve, what Satan was saying to Eve is, now listen, Eve, come on, let's talk about this. You, are you seeing this, Eve? God is trying to keep you down. God's trying to keep you in a box, right? God's trying to put a ceiling on you. You know what I'm saying? And Eve, you don't need to be limited by God. You don't need to let God put you in a box. See what he's trying to do to you? You can progress as a person. Is that right? Come on, Eve. You can progress. And that's why Paul calls this in verse 13, what, what, is he, what kind of adjectives does he use to call this? evil men and imposters. So Paul says, if you ever see this, Timothy, this idea of progress apart from Jesus, progress apart from God's word, progress apart from God's plan, just know that that's evil. Because isn't it true this morning, church family, beloved, isn't it true this morning that anything apart from Jesus and the truth of God is evil? No matter how good it seems. If it's not Jesus... If it tries to replace Jesus, if it tries to replace God's word, it's evil no matter how good it seems. And the results are always the same. If humanity tries to, as is happening in our culture today, and you see it and I see it in our culture today, and, 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 and I'm, I'm careful and I'm gracious, I want to be gracious about this, but I, I do feel, I do believe that it is bleeding into our church as much as ever This idea of human progress, apart from the truth, apart from the word, human progress, the results are always the same. In verse 13, I I see three results. First of all, he says in verse 13, the evil men and imposters will actually progress worse and worse. The word prokopto is there. They will progress or grow worse and worse. Now, this is the opposite of what the world thinks, right? The world thinks, oh, look at us, we're progressing. Oh, look at us, we're so, we're so advanced. We're, we're making such strides. Boy, our, our, our world's making a lot of strides these days, isn't it? Right? We're making a lot of strides. 
we're really moving ahead, aren't we, <laughs> in our world, <laughs> in our culture. We're just, boy, we're blazing a trail ahead, aren't we? And we think we're so advanced and we think we're so progressed and we think we're so making such strides. And in reality, it's the reverse, isn't it? We're not progressing, we're regressing. Do you see that in humanity? Does anybody see in our culture that we are not progressing, we are regressing? Our values in this country alone are regressing? They are, they are deteriorating. You know, humanism believes in evolution. We as humans are evolving. Truth of the matter is, apart from Jesus, we're not evolving, we're devolving, right? Anything apart from Jesus devolves. It's going to grow worse and worse. I can, we were talking at breakfast today about golf, and uh, I, I, it, it was kind of a sore spot. And uh, it made me think about my golf game. And if you ever play golf, um, you know, when you hit the ball, I have this thing called a slice. You may know what a slice is in golf. So a slice is when you hit the ball. I'm a right-hand hitter hit the ball, and for some reason, it's because my mechanics are off. When I hit the ball, it just always goes to the right. That's called a slice. And if you're a left-hand hitter, go off to the left. So it doesn't matter. I mean, I just hit the ball, and every single time, it's just going to... So basically, what I have to do, if I want to hit the fairway, I have to aim way over there. All right? So I'm going to aim over there and just hope it just kind of comes around and kind of lands somewhere in the fairway. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big sightseer in golf. I, I really like experiencing nature, so I spend a lot of time off the fairway. So anyway, that's a slice. So the, what happens with a slice is the further the ball travels, what's happening? The further off it's getting, right? And isn't that what's happening in the world? And isn't that what happens when we get away from truth when we get away from truth, when we get away from the Lord Jesus Christ and think, oh, look how far we're going, right? Boy, that was a great shot. Look how far we're hitting that. Look how far. But in reality, the further we go, the further off, it's, it's the further off course it is. Is that, is that what's happening today? The, the other illustration I think of with that is um, uh, like airplane pilots. And I've, I've heard stories from private pilots who flew into a cloud bank and thought, you know what, I am such an experienced pilot and I know where I'm going, I, I know what I'm doing, and this is the attitude of the world, right? Just follow us. We, we know what we're doing, right? <laughs> Just follow us. We're, we're going to lead you into the right way. We're going to progress. We're going to go for it. But this pilot flies into a cloud bank and he says, you know what, I know what I'm doing. I don't, need to, I don't need to use any instruments. I don't need any guidance. I don't need any guidance. I'll just use my own sense. And I've heard story after story of a pilot who flew into a cloud bank and said, hey, I've got this. I know exactly where I'm going. And when he emerges from the cloud bank, from the cloud bank he's actually flying upside down and about ready to run into a mountain, right? <laughs> and that's what happens. That's the... That's the condition of our world in these days, is it not? Second sure result is not, not only is it going to go worse and worse, the slice, the wicked slice, but in verse 13 he says, these evil men and imposters, will, are they are deceiving and being deceived. 
The word being deceived there in the original language means to wander, to roam, or to stray. You have in your notes a couple references. One is in James chapter 5, verse 19, where the same word is used, where he says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, also in 2 Peter, that same word is used in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, where he says, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Do you hear the slice? So they're clearly off the path. They're clearly lost. They clearly think they have direction, but clearly when you're off the set path, you may think you have direction. You may think you're heading somewhere, but in actuality, you're heading nowhere. Do you see that in our world today? Nowhere. It's actually a condition of being lost, which is exactly where our world is. And the third result is deceiving and being deceived means not only are we lost, but we're the lost leading the lost because we're being deceived, but we're also deceiving others then, which what happens is that if, if we follow what the world says and we follow these trends and attitudes and this direction of the world apart from the truth of the word, we end up being the lost, leading the lost. Which is why the contemporary English version translates this, this word as fooling others. And the J.B. Phillips translation says that we are deluded and we are deluding others. Which is again why Paul calls them in verse 13, evil men and imposters. The word imposters there literally can mean charlatans. <laughs> charlatans, those who are kind of selling you a bill of goods. It's, the, it's literally the lost leading the lost. One of my favorite little uh, cartoon memes is uh, this herd of little pigs. It's just a cartoon, this herd of little pigs. They're running towards the edge of a cliff. At this point in the story, the little pigs at the front of the herd are already dropping off the edge of the cliff. They're falling right off the edge. There's a conversation in bubbles going on with two little pigs at the back of the herd. One little pig says, I wonder where we're going. The other one replies, I don't know, but it must be good if this many of us are going there. Right? Which describes our world exactly in these days. There is the lost leading the lost. And it's so easy to get caught up in this is what everybody is saying and this is what's in and this is what we need to talk about and this is the issue for our day and, and this is really what needs attention. And this is, and oftentimes what happens, Paul says, Timothy, watch out because as the culture gets louder and louder about that, then the church is going to be pressured and believers in the church are going to be pressured into thinking we need to go that way too and we need to get caught up in this, in this stuff and this this new direction and this pioneering and this all the but Timothy it's it's all it's all lost and that was Satan's plan all along wasn't it but verse 14 but you you ready for the contrast enough bad news here's the contrast so Timothy just so you know that's where things are going and be aware and be on guard this whole herd mentality, this running after this, look, look where we're going, blaze a trail, we've got this, brand new, innovate, something apart from the word, let's, let's go, but you, and in Greek, the but you is really emphatic. 
it's like he would have written it in all capitals. Does anybody ever get an all capital text message? Ever got one of those text messages? It's just all capitals and you go, whoa, that's a strong. The exception to this is my mother who forgets to turn off her all capitals on her phone. And so every message I ever get from my mom is all capitals. But she's not yelling, she just forgot, okay? But you, okay, Timothy, that's where they're going. That's where the temptation is. That's what the pull is going to be. That's what everybody's going to be in your ear about at your church. Hey, you need to be into this, and we need to go into this direction. And, and this is what everybody's doing these days, and this is what everybody's talking about, and this is what's in right now. But, Timothy, but you, what, what are you to do, Timothy? Very simple. It's a one-word imperative. An imperative in Greek is a command. And this imperative is in the present active imperative. And all God's people said, amen. What's a present active imperative? It means you do this all the time. All the time. Ceaselessly do this one thing. But you must continue. That's the imperative. If you read it in the Greek, you would recognize it as the Greek word meno. Meno in Greek means to remain or abide. Can anybody think of, I know it's in your notes, but can anybody think of a Bible passage where that same word is used? John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, your job is to do what? Abide in me and I in you. That's the word. So, Timothy, as opposed to all of this that you're hearing in the world and the herd of little pigs, which is what's so much happening in our world and even in church and chasing after that and following the crowd, you remain in the things that you have known and you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. You remain, remain in the truth. Instead of taking some new path, you're going to hear about these new things we need to discuss, new ideas, innovative ideas, new thoughts. Timothy, you be steadfast in remaining in this. Amen? Remain in the word. Remain in the truth. And we'll talk about that more tomorrow. Remain in his path. Not, not my path, not your path, not the latest path. Not what the world says the path is. Not what the new cool idea of the path is. Stay in his path. Do you ever notice how much, um, if you read Proverbs, if you read the book of Proverbs, you ever, you ever notice how much there is about the path of God? God's path. Not my path, not your path, God's path. If you go to Proverbs and you see chapter 2, verse 8, he guards the paths of justice, he preserves the way of his saints, chapter 2, verse 12 of Proverbs, to deliver you from the way of, the ev of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, uh, chapter 2, verse 13 of Proverbs, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Um, we all know uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Over and over again, stay on the path, on his path. But how do you know the path? How do you know God's path in this day when there's so many voices? They're so loud. Go this way, go that way. This is what's in. Preach this. Listen to this. Watch this. Read this. I get bombarded by this stuff all the time. How do we know the path? 
We live in a, a postmodern day when a postmodern day says, listen, there's no one path. It's whatever your path is and whatever my path is, and he can have her path and she can have her path, and everybody can have their own path, right? Aren't there, aren't there multiple truths today? <laughs> no, there's only one truth. I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. How do you know the path? Timothy, remain, back to 2 Timothy 2, 13, 14, remain in what you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Timothy, remain in what you have learned and been assured of. The word assured, been assured there means what you have come to believe so deeply. Remain in what you've, what, what you've been convicted of your whole life, all these years, that conviction, that that solid rock that you have come to stand upon all these years, Timothy, don't depart from that, remain in that. You know, you've come to believe it. It's come to become fact for you. You've come to be convinced of it, Timothy, so remain in that. But how has Timothy become so convinced? How can he know? How does Timothy know that that's the truth? He says, Timothy, remain in what you've learned and been assured of, what you really know as a fact. You really, it's really deep in you, but how does he know that? He says in verse 14, knowing, it's a, it's, a, it's a participle, knowing two things. That word knowing there in verse 14, if you're following with us, means you know something because you've seen it with your eyes. You're sure of it. You've become convinced. You've become so rock-solid convicted about it because you have seen it with your own eyes, Timothy. So remain in what you know because you've literally seen it with your own eyes. What has he seen with his own eyes? What does he know? Rock-solid, rock-bottom. How does he know it? Two things. Knowing, first of all, in verse 14, from whom you have learned them. That's Paul. We talked about on Monday how Timothy spent how many years with Paul? About 17 we talked about how he saw with his own eyes, remember, planes, trains, automobiles, golden corral, hotels, guest rooms, underpasses, sleeping any, on a sleeping mat. So day and night, he watched Paul's life for 17 years. And for 17 to even 20 years, Timothy not only heard the truth, he saw the truth being lived out in Paul's life, and it just kind of impacted his life so greatly that because of not only what he heard and not only what the Holy Spirit was speaking to his own heart, but because of what he saw in the life of the Apostle Paul, he said, I know it's true because I saw it in the life of that man. Anybody this morning want to have a life that, that's, that is that convincing to people? Wouldn't it be something if our lives were so convincing that our lives were literally what our family members could stand, stand on and say, you know what, I, I know holiness and I know the Bible's true, not just because of what I believe and not just because it makes sense and not just because of how Jesus has spoken to me, but I saw it in my dad's life, saw it in my mom's life, I saw it in my grandma and grandpa's life, I saw it in your life, it became convincing. So Timothy, stand in that. And one way you know it so concretely is because of what you saw in me. Second way you know it is, verse 15, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that more tomorrow, but in brief, in short, because I'm running short on time. What does that mean, from childhood? He's known the Holy Scriptures. 
that can only point to one thing. It's two people that are mentioned just briefly, only time in Scripture, in the first chapter of this letter, verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother and your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Timothy knew the truth so concretely, not only because of what he later saw in his life with Paul, but what he saw in his life growing up with his mom and his grandma. Yay for moms and grandmas. <laughs> this is maybe the most convincing verse in scripture for children's ministry. We could build a whole children's ministry just on this verse alone. Because Timothy knew that he knew that he knew that he knew that he knew, not just because of Paul's life later, but because of what he watched and saw and experienced in the life of a mom and a grandma growing up. Which says two powerful things. Number one, we'll talk about this more tomorrow. Isn't God's word powerful? <laughs> Isn't it amazing what God's word can do in the life of a regular person like us? I mean, we don't talk about Lois and Eunice very much, do we? Our, does anybody um, have a Lois and Eunice poster hanging up in your children's church room? Your church, anybody? Are there any Lois and Eunice memes out there that I don't know about on the internet somewhere? These great heroes of the faith, Lois, Lois and Eunice. They're just regular ladies. They're just regular people. And yet, isn't it true this morning, beloved, God's word can work powerfully in the lives of just regular people like us, not superheroes, not super Christians, just regular people like us that are in process, and we're just regular people that are willing to seek and be humble and, and, and be open to the Lord and be into God's word in their lives, and God works powerfully through people like that, amen? That's why we need to be into the word when we go home. That's why camp meeting can continue in spirit all through this next year in our hearts and in our lives. If we'll be into this word, because if God could do it in a Lois and a Eunice, he can do it in us. And the second thing it says is, look how important that heritage was. I've been thinking lately, would Paul, would Timothy have been ready for Paul if not for Lois and Eunice? How important is this godly heritage that God has given us here at this camp? How important is it? And Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you've received a heritage. You've received a torch to go hand off. And Timothy, do you see the importance? We do see the importance here, don't we, at Camp Syker? Amen? You guys all with me? We realize the importance of what we've been given here. And this truth of biblical holiness, scriptural holiness that we've been given. And you know, God doesn't have any other plan, does he, for passing on the truth except through people like us, right? God doesn't just often drop, sometimes there's somebody that it happens to and God just convicts their lives and, and God brings truth to their lives. But most often, how does God bring truth? Through people like us. We're the torchbearers. But I'll, I'll finish with this. But if Timothy was going to take this call to be that for the next generation, Paul's going to heaven. 
Here's the torch, Timothy. Mom, mom and grandma handed it to you. I've handed it to you. Now you're, you're the torch bearer for those who are coming behind you. Remember Steve Green? May all who come behind us find us faithful. May the, may, the, may the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. May the lives we live inspire them to obey. Which again is back to that point that holiness means it's not about me. It's really about them, right? You guys are all with me on that, right? We, we do have unanimous agreement in this room on that, right? About holiness being not about us, it's about them. About those who are coming behind us. But if Timothy is going to be that torchbearer and is going to receive this, it calls for an attitude of humility and gratitude. Can't be a torchbearer if you're not humble and grateful. And it's like Paul, Timothy was being called to be grateful to an old man and his mom and grandma. Do you know how countercultural that is right now? Do you know how much young people are told, like, I mean, how many young people are told by their friends, it's really cool to follow old guys and your mom and grandma. That's just really cool. Just look to your mom, look to your grandma. You know, at school, down at school, they say to each other, hey, if you've got a, I'm struggling with something, oh, go ask your grandma. Or, uh, hey, go ask that old guy at your church. Uh, that'd be a good person. That's not what they're hearing. That's, if Timothy was, you see how, you see how this would call for such, such humility in his life to be a debtor? Because fact is, this morning, Timothy was a debtor to those folks. Timothy was a debtor to his mom and his grandma. Anybody a debtor to anybody here today for the truth in your life? Who are you a debtor to in your life? Maybe we should go be thanking them more for the way they handed the torch to us. I'm a debtor. And what's really good about people who are debtors and people who are humble is that people who are debtors and they recognize that, listen, I, because again, that's the opposite. The world says, listen, we've got this. Look at us. We're self-made. We're going to blaze the trail. Follow us. We've got this. Remember Laverne and Shirley? I'll do it my way. Okay, that kind of thing. Or we did it our way. Frank Sinatra says my way. Laverne and Shirley says our way, right? But this is like anybody who's humble. Listen, I, I'm not self-made. Listen, I didn't figure this out. Listen, Jesus, thank you for the people in my life that you, you gave me this truth through. Thank you for people that pointed me to you. I am a debtor and I am humble. And when you're humble and you're a debtor, it's then that you can be a seeker after God and a learner. Notice in verse 14, he says, learn twice. You can be a learner and a seeker. And, and I guess the thing I want to leave with you this morning as we wrap up this session pretty soon is I feel very deeply about this. Isn't being a seeker and humble and learning and open and ready to, I like how Blaine and Matt talk about responding to the Lord. Isn't that attitude of I'm open and I'm, I'm needy and I'm hungry and I'm a learner and I don't have it all together, isn't that at the core of holiness Us entirely sanctified people, if, if we're here this morning and I experienced the experience of a time, we talked about the crisis moment. God can make us perfect in the heart in a moment, but we talked about how there's a lot of us that still needs a lot of work, so there's still a lot of seeking to do on my part, amen? 
So at core, us holiness people are seeking people, aren't we? Us holiness people are learning people. Us holiness people are humble people. Us holiness people are people that are always surrendering, that are always repenting, that are always being shown new things. Is that, is that right? Us holiness people? Holiness people are not arrived people. Holiness people are not, you know, sometimes when I'm preaching somewhere, I experience the, um, just in the congregation, you know, not here, of course, but I experience what I call the Clint Eastwood uh, posture. You ever see the Clint Eastwood posture in church? It's kind of the attitude that says, make my day. Hey, I've heard this. I've been around this forever. Hey, I, 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 that, that, that's great preacher. Hey, John, that's great truth. That's wonderful truth. I sure hope the teenagers are listening. You ever had that thought? Wonderful truth. Praise God. I sure hope those teenagers respond. At my home church in Nashville, there's, I probably already told you, there's two groups of people that respond at my home church, teens and recovery people. Then there's the rest of us. Do you know how backwards that is from holiness, what he's calling Timothy to? That, that is the attitude of the world that says, look at us, we got this, follow us, we, you know, we're, we're together, whatever. Holiness people are about Holiness people come to every service seeking truth. Amen? Holiness people are into God speaking to us every service. Why? Because we're still in the process of sanctification, right? Y'all with me? Right? We are. So holiness people have their Bibles. When Bert preaches this morning, when Steve preaches tonight, us holiness people, we're coming to this place ready, aren't we? Right? That's why I looked around in this tabernacle, and I can tell that you can tell holiness people because when you walk around, you can tell the front edges of the pews are kind of wore off a little. The, the stain is wore off a little more because people are used to sitting on the front edge of their seat ready to respond. That's why we always have you know, really good altar services at holiness camp meetings, not just for teens and recovery people, but that's, that's why holiness people are always responding to altars all the time at holiness camp meetings. That's why we have full altars always at holiness camp meetings, because us holiness people are seeking and open, and, and we're learners too, amen? Is that right? That's why like coming to altars at holiness camp meeting isn't like the thing that we just kind of shy away from. Coming to altars and responding and, 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 that, and that surrendering, that's, that's not abnormal. That is normal for us holiness people, right? Because that's the attitude of holiness. Amen? Y'all with me? So I'm praying, oh God, could you, what would happen if that would become our normal here even at Camp Syker? That's just the normal. That's just what we do. That's just, because isn't it true that that's where revival has always come in church history? Revival has always come to people that are just humble and seeking and open and, and, and just saying, Lord, here I am. Amen? Isn't that the progress we need? Anybody think we need any progress in our world right now? Do we need progress? Do we need progress in America? Do we need progress in our churches? That's not criticizing. That's not bashing. Don't we need progress in our churches right now, real progress? Not the world's kind of progress. Oh, look at where. Don't we need real progress? Do we need real progress in our families? Can I say this with love? Do we need progress in our camp? Do we need progress in our camp? What if the progress 
starts with me. Lord, what progress would you like to make in my life today? And so, Lord, would you give me a heart that comes to the service in about 15 minutes from now? <laughs> Make progress in me so that my life becomes what's convincing to those who come behind me. Anybody want that? Lord Jesus, thank you that we don't have to make progress or figure out what that is. If we are humble before you, your word, and we seek after you, you'll make the progress that's needed in my life, in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our denominations even, and in our camp. So we pray as our brother Bert comes to preach this morning shortly, and as we worship, would you give us just the humble, simple, surrendered attitude of a learner that is a debtor and is desperate for our lives to be convincing to the ones coming behind us. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace to us to, that all we got to do is abide, <laughs> remain and abide in you and the word and you do the rest. We seek you today. Work in us. We, we seek to abide in you and you and us. And we love you today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. God bless you. And we'll see you in a few minutes.